Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host, Titus, and today in our postmodern conservative series, my friend Oliver Trolldy joins me again for a conversation about slacking and slackers, why there aren't any anymore, whatever happened to them, what they were all about, and why, in certain ways, we are fond of slackers and think of ourselves as slackers to an extent, and will certainly put up a more than slack, even a spirited defense of slackers so much for introduction. Oliver, how are you doing? It's so good to talk to you again. It's always a wonderful conversation and we get to share it with our audience now. Yeah, so I guess, uh, so I've been doing well. You know, obviously things are up and down during the pandemic, but I think I've been able to deal with it better than some because uh, I'm a bit reclusive. I'm a bit introverted. You know, I do a lot of my socializing online, even in the best of circumstances. So I've been doing pretty well. As the topic of slacking, there were sort of two sources, which I imagine we'll get to. I sort of accidentally went back to this kind of trove of 90s music that I used to really love. Things like, you know, Beck, Loser, you know, Green Day, Flagpole Sitter, you know, just a lot of these classic 90s songs are about not doing anything, just failing at stuff, but being chill about it, being okay with it. You know, a combination of self-deprecation and self-aggrandizement and the level of failure that one is able to attain. And I sort of just started thinking about this figure of the slacker because it kind of struck me that I'm not sure if there are any slackers anymore. I'm not sure if the slacker figure is really comprehensible anymore. And so I started watching some of these slacker movies, which I also loved. I have always loved kind of slacker stoner movies, whether of the Ferris Bueller, very aggressive slacking, right? Like all of this work is put in to the ability to not go to school, right? So in a way, you work harder to slack than you would to work, right? And similar thing in the movie called Slackers. That movie is not even really a movie about slackers. It's a movie about college kids who work really hard to be able to steal tests and things and cheat on the answers and end up working way harder than they would to just like study for the course, right? I rewatched that and, you know, Dude, Where's My Car? I love. And I ended up watching Harold and Kumar go to White Castle again, which had been a movie that I loved when it came out. And it struck me that I thought of it as a slacker movie because they get stoned. They complain about work. Kumar doesn't want to become a doctor and everything. But I think it's actually an interesting and in some ways pernicious play on slackers. The real slackers of the Harold and Kumar movie are these two guys you see only at the beginning of the end of the movie who are the guys who make Harold do all this work. And the movie really is about this adventure that these two guys go on in order to achieve the American dream, which is getting what you see on TV. So Harold and Kumar is all about the stuff they see on TV. First of all, after they get high, they see an anti-marijuana infomercial on TV. So even the cannabis is like on TV. Then they see the White Castle on TV and they want to go get the White Castle. And eventually, Harold gets the romance he wants, which is kind of presaged by the girl that he likes. They see walking into a movie theater that's playing 16 Candles, the John Hughes movie. And so that's kind of on TV in a certain sense. So Harold gets the John Hughes ending as well. But the beginning of the movie is all this kind of play on John Hughes, where it's the antagonists who are escaping work and getting off of work and escaping in a nice car. And I thought of this as a nice pivot point where the view is something like what happens after the slackers slack, you know, like who picks up the slack. So Harold and Kumar is really about who picks up the slack, not about the slackers. So, yeah, that's what inspired me about the topic of slackers. I think we live in a time where it's hard to come up with a narrative that would make people like slackers. You know, instead of slacking, what do we say? What is the activist thing? The activist thing is you do the work, right? That's what the activists say. That's what my friend Oliver Bateman is always making fun of. 
And doing the work is something, well, you can do it as an activist, but you can also do it in the human resources training at your Fortune 500 company, right? You do the work at work, right? It's all about the work, whether it's for the corporation or for social justice, it's all a form of work, right? So slacking as anti-work, there's nobody who likes it. There's no area for somebody who would say, I'm going to try and avoid work. I'm going to try and kind of conscientiously object to work. This figure of the slackers in the 90s, even in movies that weren't explicitly about slackers, that kind of everything had a slacking quality to it, right? Like everything had this quality of, oh, we just want to be done with everything. We just want to chill. If you watch like American Pie, every character has at least a little bit of that, even though they're not like the slacker archetype, but it's kind of all shot through with that. Yeah, and just kind of like the self-deprecation of lyrics um, in the 90s, you know, pop songs now. It sounds like so much work. You go to the club, you drink, you put on your nice clothes, you have to talk to a girl. It's all so complicated, right? You know, it's, what is it, long, it's either Longview, I think it's Longview or Welcome to Paradise by Green Day. You know, he says, I'm, I'm so damn bored, I'm going blind, right? It's about, you know, staying home and being bored, but sort of intentionally slacking off to do it. So that's something that I think we've completely lost in the current kind of politico-technological era. So that's why I'm interested in it. It seems to be gone now. Yeah, the slacker was the last time leisure had the fighting chance, as it were, in America, even as a minority option, even as a kind of defiant and despised alternative. Now it's overactivity and illusions of overactivity, too. Right. Think of, say, Mike Judge's two Silicon Valley movies, Office Space mm -hmm. from 99, where work is make work. And the ideal, at least as a transitional figure, is this guy who becomes a slacker who just mm -hmm. does nothing all day and is suddenly wonderful, more handsome, more confident, right. healthier, even in this strange way, even gets a girlfriend all by slacking. Yeah, that's it's a perfect example. You can believe in the power of not giving so much of a damn about things that are transparently silly. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect example. The protagonist, they say, what would you do if you had a million dollars? And he says, I would do nothing. I would just sit on my ass all day and do nothing. I can't believe I didn't think of that. That is the encapsulation of the ethos. And it comes right at the end of the 90s. I hadn't thought of this before, but, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there were all these movies about how bad work was. What is it, American Beauty, where Kevin Spacey, what does he find a way to get his boss to punch him? And so, it, and then, of course, you have Fight Club. And so in all these different ways, it's about work, work, work. It's all we do. And why can't we just slack I think maybe after 2008, it became harder to do that. You know, once it was a lot harder to find work, people started to miss it. So that may be part of the reason that the slacker archetype kind of started to fall by the wayside. Yeah, I think that's right. If people are worried about, are they going to have any kind of future? There's something to be said for the fact that in the 90s, everybody seemed to think that the economy and in a sense the future was just going to be fine. Now people are worried or terrified. And I think that in parallel with that, productivity has got and work has got an entire new boost. Jump from office space to Silicon Valley, the Mike Judge TV show about Silicon mm -hmm. Valley 2.0, let's say. And you see everyone has changed. Nobody's a slacker anymore. Nobody has this cynical, detached attitude. Everybody's, even if they have to be lying through their teeth, even to themselves, they're forever about disruption. They're forever about being a bother, being a nuisance. Right. 
that's because that's how you achieve success. You will be changing society for the better, becoming rich in the process and admired and solve all your geeky, nerdy insecurities. And uh, you get these Silicon Valley corporate parties with some rapper Uh so that you can feel like you're cool for one hot minute at least. All of a sudden, it's a flurry of activity and it's a very different kind of paradise, as you were saying. It's about being in the club, not about being by yourself. Hyperactivity, that's somehow required. Mm -hmm. That somehow mixes with the fact that, strangely enough, our opportunities aren't really all that social. They are online opportunities. Our social is social media. Indeed, social media can now come back into the world and get you to go to a concert or go see this new place and photograph your food or whatever. Right. It'll get you to do things. It's strange that for how passive social media is, you can just doom scroll on Twitter or eat your heart out on Instagram because of other people's happiness. But that means that some people at least have to do a lot of work. And it turns out that therefore you get these ideals of social media, which are influencers or they are activists who are overactive. There's no ideal for leisure or anything close to slackerdom. Yeah, even the use of social media turns socialization into a sort of work, into something that is, I mean, a lot of my socialization is through social media, but I also, social media is also something that I keep track of with metrics. I keep an eye on who's following me, you know, the reach of my tweets and things like that, how many people have read my articles. I was just talking about this with some friends last night. There's a now rather famous Twitter personality in Silicon Valley, now moved to Seattle, I think. She has an OnlyFans. People pay her to get naked and things like that. And she has all these spreadsheets for it and all this data for it um, and is maximizing Basically, anything online like that, no matter how good a replacement it is for certain social activities, it's never going to be fully leisurely because it never will have that quality of, oh, you know, a bunch of us are just in the same place and now we're going to sort of relax and recline. The slacker aesthetic, we can imagine what's cool about a slacker, you know, imagine a scene from a movie. There's 10 people in a high school classroom and nine of them are just trying really hard to one up each other socially and to do all these things. And the slacker is just kind of off to the side doing something ridiculous or getting high or something um, and then goes you know, has some friends in another class that they, you know, probably wearing like a plaid flannel or something that's too big for him. But you can't successfully be the person who doesn't participate in social media because then you're not even noticed. You can't successfully slack on social media because then you're not even on social media, right? The removal of physicality kind of removes the way in which the slacker would even put their slacking out into the world. Because, you know, slacking isn't simply the absence of activity. It's a cool way of doing nothing or sort of a directed way of doing nothing, doing nothing with a point, you might say. Anybody who's on social media now, anybody who's anti-work and says, don't go to your job, well, what would they say next? They would say, don't go to your job because we have to smash capitalism, right? Well, that sounds like a lot of work to me, you know? Smashing capitalism, that's exhausting. And what do they then say? Well, you have to read this thing. You have to read all this theory. You have to read the women theorists and the people of color theorists. You can't ever have done the work enough, right? Maybe you're anti-work in the sense that you want to smash capitalism, but you're pro-work in the sense that there's all these other things that you have to do. A slacker would never look at these things and say, oh, I'm going to read all these all these books on the reading list, you know. So it's hard to find the slacker in all this stuff. 
Yeah, there's just a lot more gullibility nowadays. And uh, that gullibility that makes people want to be popular or be popularly outrageous in one of these activist senses is a very good juxtaposition for slackerdom. Because as you said, uh, slackerdom is really doing nothing. Partly that's the negative insight of not doing what everybody else is doing. Because you see, a lot of what's done is nothing. It's just people are deluded. Right. But it's also this other matter that if you stop doing all sorts of things that are popular or fashionable, you just take them for granted, then, you know, what are you left with? In a sense, you'll start with nothing. You have to do things that maybe you can't really talk about, what you think about yourself. Who knows? Right. But that is hard to defend because slackerdom requires a private life that social media has simply obliterated. Right. More and more, it's the case that if on social media you do something or like something, but you know, but is it relevant to the struggle? Are we achieving all of these things that incredibly hysterical histrionics continuously require of us? The more passive in many social ways our lives are, the more feverish our imaginations have to become. (laughs) Right. We have to summon all sorts of anger and misery out of our lives and blame it on politics instead of just dealing with the fact that you're not really happy. A big deal in slackerdom. Now you have to figure out who is a politically viable target for your unhappiness. Right. It can be as small as somebody who used the wrong word, maybe not even talking to you, or as big as, you know, people can lose their minds about the rainforest in the Amazon and have these incredibly hateful passions very publicly on social media, or it can be, you know, politics, or it can be all sorts of other things that are supposedly global or even cosmic. And then, so you see, slackers were in some sense a revolt against American society, Mm -hmm. but they were not revolutionaries, really. Right. They did not have this sense of outrage at the cosmos. Yeah, I think that would have certainly been too much work for the slacker. You know, I think another thing that's replaced the figure of the slacker is, you know, another thing you see on social media a lot, self-flagellating, you know, oh, I was trying to do work, but then I checked Twitter, you know, I can't get off Twitter. And that's medicalized. You know, it says just ADHD things or social anxiety things or things like that. And I think a lot of the things that would maybe be kind of agentially affirmed by a slacker or by a slacker figure in slacker literature or a slacker movie or in slacker music, a lot of the things where, you know, a slacker might be kind of slacking as at least a somewhat intentional act, not just an inability to do the things they want to do. A lot of that agency has been replaced and certainly was in my life, you know, I think ultimately for the good, but has been replaced by a diagnosis, right? Well, it can't be that you just don't want to work. It must be that you have, you know, a disorder that is making it impossible for you to work. So anytime you see somebody saying something that sounds like slacking on social media, often they'll just say after, oh, this is my ADHD kicking in or something like that. Or this is my anxiety or my avoidant personality disorder or something, right? These were sort of all the things that I talked to psychologists about for a few years in my 20s when I was very worried about this sort of thing. And that's another way in which it shows that it's been pathologized and it shows that it's hard to find the figure and maybe it relates back to the 2008 crash and the difficulty of finding work. Maybe when there's a different balance of available jobs and available labor, the labor has the upper hand and is able to slack to a certain extent and able to say, look, you know, I will work, but I'll sort of work when I want to, you know. Who knows? Maybe this is sort of mythologizing the 90s. Maybe jobs were never like this. You know, the other thing about this for me is the 90s were when I was growing up, right? So, of course, I didn't see the world of work at that age. So it's a convenient, you know, it's an easy view to have as a kid. But it still seems like at least in our artistic output, something has been lost. 
some sort of opposition. I do what I want. Nobody tells me what to do, you know. But again, not in a libertarian or otherwise political or revolutionary way, just in a sort of, you know, don't bug me sort of way. Yeah, I think you're very much right that the new economy shatters what we think of the future. Or maybe you could say something more radical than that. You know, the 90s were, in some sense, the end of history. People were okay. Mm -hmm. There were budget surpluses and there were no wars. Right. Afterwards, things got uglier and uglier. Economic crisis and death and all sorts of problems afflicted America. Right. At this massive level and also hurt people in their private lives or if not them, somebody in their family or some friend they knew. And all of a sudden, the notion that things are all right went away. You can slack at the end of history and in a way, maybe there's nothing left to do. You should be slacking. But you can't slack when precarity is the new reality. Right. You have following on crisis uncertainty. The slackers didn't ever have to be revolutionaries because they believed they were not the elites and never could be the elites, but that the elites were not going to plunge the country off several cliffs in foreign policy and economics and all sorts of social issues. Right. After those things happen, it's much harder to retain your cool. And slackers were some kind of cool, fairly confident, not hysterical. And so, yeah, this massive social and economic change is, I think, very important. But I think you're also right when you get to this issue that socially we make a big deal out of therapy, but it's a personal problem. Mm -hmm. We tend more and more to say more and more personal things as publicly as we can and to want some kind of approval. And that means that I can't really be me. For me to be me, I have to have something that's the matter with me that millions of other people will like. Right. And that both gives strangers a veto on my identity and emphasizes my weakness. As you said, there's more loss of agency than we know how to deal with. As I was saying, the slacker was in some sense cool. And you could say that as you're saying, don't bug me. I know who I am in mm -hmm. some way. And I'll insist on that. That confidence meant that the slacker believed he was some kind of human being. He was a type. He was not something broken that was supposed to be right. fixed through therapy, which is, of course, the big deal in our age. Especially this notion that successful people, their kids in school, they have to be on pills. Ritalin, right. I mean, we're not poor people. We're not going to go to jail for amphetamines. We're going to be on Ritalin, and that's the ladder right. to success. Even there, you see this desperate hyperactivity and an inability to deal with being the being that you are. Slackers had this confidence, and maybe it wasn't entirely grounded. And I certainly agree with you that slackerdom was a phenomenon of transition. It's about becoming an adult and realizing that in a way you're not an adult, and in a way what people tell you about being an adult doesn't add up. Right. Especially young men. Slackers were young men at the last moment. Right. Being a man in public America was not something to be ashamed of. Slackers didn't have to be apologizing about manspreading or mansplaining or whatever. Right. You didn't even have to say about yourself that you were male or some kind of vaguely scientific weak word that says you're sorry. Right. Slackers could be slackers. Young men could deal with the fact that they don't really know what to do with the future. But in mm -hmm. some way, it's on me. It's not everybody else's problem through ideology right. or through therapy or through whatever else. It's my problem and everybody else doesn't understand me and can't pretend to be in my shoes or feel my pain or what have you. Right. There was a certain kind of pride in being me that I really admire about slackers and to some extent I shared. That indeed has been vanquished and above all by this therapy that promotes people to say, I am sick, I am unwell, I am miserable. And right. somehow I'll make it even worse by talking about it on Twitter or whatever, but that's what I'm going to go with. Right. 
this pathology has its own strange glamour. Just like there's a kind of new luxury good and complaining about not being sufficiently productive because you're on Twitter is advertising your part in the productivity. Right, race. exactly. It's a luxury. Like you're slamming it in slackerdom. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not what we're talking about here, which again somehow pathologizes leisure. I waste time that I don't have to waste, but all I can do is waste. Right. It seems like there's way too much publicity. People can't even deal with themselves in relation to some small number of people who really know who you are. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that another element of it, just when you were talking about wasting time, you know, if you watch a slacker movie or listen to, you know, a Green Day song and listen to how they describe slacking and they're wasting time, a lot of it is they just sort of sit around the house and don't do anything, right? You know, you keep saying leisure, but the transformation of leisure Leisure itself is so much work now, right? What do you have to do? You have to look through how many movies is Netflix recommending you, you know? You should pay somebody to pick your Netflix movies for you. There's so much. You're to pick your YouTube videos. There's lifetimes upon lifetimes upon lifetimes. I don't even know how much, thousands of, or millions, I don't even know the scope of online video to watch and of ways to entertain yourself. This is something that I think David Foster Wallace saw. You know, I think he, in some ways, in his work, exemplified the struggle between understanding the appeal of slacking and getting high and not doing anything, but also seeing, you know, infinite justice about this thing that is so entertaining that you can't look away, right? Understanding how entertaining entertainment was going to become and how all-encompassing entertainment was going to become. And then his unfinished novel, The Pale King, about boredom, you know, I think that the transformation of leisure into this sort of incredible, but also incredibly involving kind of entertainment, you know, when I'm avoiding my work, it's never that I'm just sort of sitting around and thinking about my life, right? I don't sit around and think about my life for better or for worse. What I do is I sit around and I think, okay, what's a TV show I haven't watched? I'd better get that one in. Everybody's saying, you know, I've never watched Breaking Bad. I've never watched The Water. You know, that'll, that'll be the next one on the list. And then, you know, you use that to network. You use that to talk to people about it, to talk about on date. It always has some utility. Your leisure is always, and a rather direct utility, I think. So on both sides of it, there's both a payoff to the leisure time in the current form it takes. Even, you know, I'm, I think I'm not actually good about this at all. I love cooking. It's one of my greatest thoughts, but I'll post on Twitter. I say, here's, look at this beautiful thing I made, you know, give me the likes. It can't just be a hobby because once you do it, you find that it also has this other use. And so, yeah, the incredible amount of information and the level to which being entertained kind of requires a certain kind of activity and the payoff to it, I think is a strange transformation of leisure. And it's not a slackerly leisure at all, I think. Yeah, slackerdom requires refusing to be entertained. If you have to be nasty about it, that's better than being nice and compliant with the world of entertainment. And I think you're right about this, that, you know, the slacker would rather identify with boredom. Everybody now identifies with being entertained, with chasing after fantasies increasingly on their smartphones and social media and in this strange new world of streaming where you can switch one fantasy after another. It's like super television. 
you are in control not just of the remote but of the channels you're in control of so much more hell you can be the channel if you feel like it right right as you say you can be the show on twitter and you can be your own cooking show and you can be your own you know medical disaster show you can be your own show of any number of things and see what you where you get an audience these entirely new thrills that television didn't used to offer us now we are the television and so it's possible and it's much harder therefore to lose sight of all these things and deal with yourself instead even or especially by dealing with boredom that's perhaps the weirdest most anti-political part of slackerdom boredom right you know this has often been a theme of deep reflection and i'm not saying slackers are bless pascal but pascal did point out right how important boredom is to reveal that we suspect that much of what we do is not really that good and even many of the good things we do are very precarious they're either too subject to chance or perishable or simply mm-hmm. don't answer ultimately the fact that we're all afraid of death right and that somehow creeps in on us and the slacker was the last american type to be aware of incoming death you get that sense that whatever i could do it's never going to amount to that much whatever right. i do it's not going to fix that i am bored to death because i'm afraid of death that's something that human beings should deal with because it's the reality of who we are as opposed right. to the entertainment fantasies and so there was always this potential in being a slacker to reveal that we are human beings and in the types available now that are hyperactive and histrionic and incredibly performative and never themselves like British Stanley says everybody's an actor now everybody's always trying to impress and desperate for approval it makes it very hard therefore to deal with the pain of being who you are have what they were doing do anything yeah that's somehow an insight into who i am i'm not quite sure what it is in which it's a mere nothing but in another way it felt somehow serious to me it felt like reality most of our replacements for reality entertainment don't really have that power to persuade us. Yeah, I agree with that. And what you said, I mean, honestly, even on a personal level, what you said about reflecting on death, you know, fits with me. Having a lot of things to do is a great way to not think about your mortality, to not think about how ephemeral your accomplishments are. Again, similar thing with current social media. It's so easy to say, well, you know, I'll post, oh, I got the job. I told you guys about the job. I got the job and everybody, you know, a thousand likes. And it really seems like you've done something. And then, you know, okay, but it's just a job. But somehow you don't think about that, right? You think, uh, oh, what I'm really doing is you find some story. I'm really contributing to solve this problem or that problem, right? The ephemerality and the meaninglessness of a lot of it, it's funny because we talk about there as being a crisis of meaning at the current time, but I think potentially it's because there isn't this kind of reflection, there isn't this kind of socially sanctioned, as you say, conscientious objection to doing things that one finds meaningless, right? One way to avoid a crisis of meaninglessness is if something seems meaningless to you, to just not do it. And well, if that ends up with you not doing anything, well, then you're a slacker and you kind of sit and think, as Green Day say, you're so damn bored that you go blind. But maybe eventually you find something that is meaningful. I saw, I forget what the context was, but I saw something on Twitter recently about just, you know, what college students say and do to get into college. Half of the people admitted to, you know, a top Ivy have started their own nonprofit or something like that, right? And, you know, maybe they do a little bit of good, who knows, but maybe there's some room for a little bit more like sitting and thinking that none of it means anything. Yeah, there's so much self-promotion, it's astonishing. 
you know, the slacker used to be a kind of shameless guy. Like, aren't you ashamed of yourself for not working, for not doing better in school, for nothing about your future? You're failing your girlfriend. You're not even have a girlfriend. How much of a loser are you? Right. Now shamelessness itself has become impersonal. It's mm-hmm. just something you have to do to be part of the competition. Everything is a competition. Jobs, schools, it's all a tournament. Nonconformism really has absolutely no ground anymore. Right. And similar with romance, just like you said, with jobs and schools, romance, you know, on a swipe app, you want to be highly rated, you know, you want to optimize your pictures. There's no way. How can a slacker, of course, if they're preternaturally attractive or something, but how can a slacker optimize a Tinder account? What are they supposed to do? How can you take selfies at the right angles if you're a slacker? Yeah, really difficult to see how all these areas of modern life even get off the ground if you're a slacker. Yeah, like it or not, you have to compete even in all these ways. In slacker romance means something like, I think this is trash and maybe some chick also thinks it's trash and we'll find something in common that way. Or we're bored and we happen to be together and we'll take it from there. It wasn't as much activity or the pretense of it as the new social media makes it seem. And of course, it was also not confrontational in the way everything is now strangely confrontational. Everything has to be an occasion primarily for women in public elite America to complain that they're miserable about everything. If their boyfriends are alive, they're a pest, and if they're dead because of despair, then that's really bad for the women. Right. So (laughs) if you treat things that way, you know, you can't deal at all with something that slackers, you know, they managed to mate fairly well. So they understood practically enough the quarrel of the sexes to manage it. And uh, that now is declared to be impossible. So there's a convergence of the triumph of productivity and therefore massive competition in a tournament through schools. And as you were saying, you got to have your NGO. You know, it used to be that you could do an internship. Now you have to have a non-profit. Internships are out. You got to get a more prestigious thing. You got to be doing extracurricular things, volunteering more and more and more and more prestigious. And that exemplifies the best restlessness that's organized around hyperactivity everywhere else, including, as I said, in fantasies of hyperactivity on social media. This is tied together with therapy and medicalization, optimizing yourself for success or being screwed up in a scientifically describable way where you know the name of your condition. You've got, as you said, your diagnosis. That is your identity. If you can't be one of the conformists of success, you have to be this other kind of conformist of failure. And that also ties up with the need to blame people and to blame society in this activist way. Slackers probably always blame society because the system is rigged or there's not stuff to do. But they weren't activists about it. Right. Now you can take your hurt and be an activist to the point where, you know, the principles of slackerdom are denied. That is to say, today we say silence is violence. Right. Silence is just slacking off. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Slacking is violence. So, you know, you do not have a right to be yourself. Slackerdom was, first of all, about asserting the right to be yourself because you didn't really know what you want to be. Right. And there was, therefore, this understanding in slacking that people who say they know what you should be or what they are are often lying. Right. And the fact that they're maybe lying to themselves first doesn't make it any different, ultimately. It was a refusal to get on board with the things that we see now having triumphed. An aggressive commercial corporate employer-employee optimism. You know, you can't be a slacker in the new workplace 
even though it's open spaces, not cubicles, and it's campuses for the successful, which would be a slacker ideal college forever. You just need your hoodie and right. you're good. But it's not. Even these things have been taken away from slackers. Right. You're supposed to be comfortable because Zuckerberg is comfortable in a great t-shirt. But no, it's, it's not comfortable. It's not something you can relax about. There's hyperproductivity instead. And therefore, this driving sense everywhere that the rest of us measured by that standard just don't add up. But the notion that you could refuse to be judged by the standard of productivity or the standard of justice and activism and all this madness, right. somehow this has gone to hell. You know, slackers just lost. It was some kind of battle for the future of American youth and slackers lost. It was a very Gen X or late Gen X thing, early millennial thing. Right. And therefore transitional, not only in the sense that it was young men in high school or college or out of school who are trying to figure out their lives and don't know how, and are getting their foot this insight that what everybody says is the future is not going to work out. But it's transitional also in the sense of shifts of generations, of technology, the elimination of privacy, the desperate need for identity. Right. The slacker was right all along. People were not sure about their identities and they were just pretending. But everybody else decided to go with social media where you can manufacture identities. You have a crisis of meaning. We have overproduction of meaning. There's more meaning being produced every day. You can give your life meaning through any number right. of ac uh, activities or pretenses, through any number of fantasies, through any number of images. There's meaning everywhere. From conspiracy theories to rescue dogs, there's meaning for your life wherever you look. You can't escape it. But Slacker managed to escape that because it involved a degree of comfort with the fact that you don't know who you are. Right. Because you are who doesn't know who you are. That's one certain thing that, you know, you have to keep dealing with yourself and that it's not a fantasy. It was not done for you by entertainment or by activism. It was not done for you as a promise of success. In this negative of failure, you're a loser if you're a slacker. There was something good there because you knew you had to deal with yourself and that is who you are. So loneliness and silence were in certain ways tied up with it. Boredom was so evocative of this. But in another way, slackerdom was especially opposed to productivity and a certain kind of capitalist economy. As you say, you know, we now do this to right. every part of our life. I want the utility out of this. I want to get numbers if I can put numbers to it. And on social media, I can always put numbers to things and get something out of this stuff. And therefore, nothing can be for its own sake. This is what lefty people who is academic German call commodification. Everything right. is turned into commerce. Everything is to turned into exchanges. But slackerdom was in some sense tied up with things being just what they are, including when they suck. But right. that also meant that beautiful things could be what they were. If you liked music or if you liked poetry or if you liked all these sorts of things that are for their own sake, that was fine. Because in some sense, they are higher in the order of what we want out of life than making stuff for work. Right. Making stuff for work is always for use, for the sake of something else. And on the other hand, these kinds of things that are useless but beautiful, you will always need them. They're somehow truer to being human and less tied to the circumstances of your comfort or of your success at work. I think it's interesting what you said about the slacker knowing who they are. You know, I also think of the other element of a major concern, you know, when I was in high school and middle school and just a feature of 
I don't know if it's still a feature of I don't watch, you know, movies and TV about high school right now. So I don't know if it's any longer a feature. But the main social feature was this idea of the click, right? There were these competing cliques, these competing groups. What is it that the principal's secretary says in Ferris Bueller, you know, the sluts, the bloods, the wasteoids, the dweebies, the dickheads, they all love him, right? So that's the slacker figure, whether it's the sort of positive slacker figure where they all love him like Ferris Bueller. There's a sort of negative slacker figure where they all hate him and he doesn't quite fit into any of them. But somehow this social system of clickiness, you know, the slacker might have his friends, maybe they're slackers too, but there's not quite a slacker group. The slacker is not like a a necessarily a configuration within the social system. And that's another thing that it's difficult to see the slacker making a comeback because the social groups now are so are moralized and politicized, right? There's the good social group and the bad social group. And of course, a lot of so much of at least online political discourse comes back to who is the nerd in high school, who is the cool kid in high school, who is the stoner in high school, right? You can sort of pick out to a certain extent on social media. So I think it's it's interesting. And this came before, you know, this was presaged in the in the Breakfast Club, right? Which doesn't really exactly have a slacker character, but sort of the ending of the Breakfast Club is they didn't actually know who they were. You know, that's the beauty of the ending of the Breakfast Club. They figure out, as you say, that they didn't know who they are. And that's a way of discovering who you are to find out that you hadn't known who you were previously. There's an episode of Freaks and Geeks with James Franco, the main freak, the sort of head freak decides he wants to become like a punk or a mod or i forget what i don't know and dyes his hair silver or something um and tries to get like a stupid piercing and tries to hook up with this girl and it just all failed like none of it works and somebody punches him in the face or something and he goes back to his old girlfriend and she sort of laughs at him but then kind of takes him back because that's the straight oh you know it's funny you like for a second you thought you knew who you were Um, That's funny. That happens to everybody, right? That you think for a second you've found an identity, but then you realize you come back to, it's just sort of me. There's just sort of this, to an extent, an emptiness, right? You know, know, in philosophy, there's been, it's not an exact connection, obviously. It's not a strict logical connection, but the greatest philosopher of the English language, David Hume, in a way had a slacker theory of the self, right? He said the self, there's not much there, right? You just bundle together a bunch of perceptions and that's the self, right? And I think that is true, kind of what you're saying, that the slacker has to take some time and think, and maybe actually the slacker sometimes is a figure who had a chance to be a member of this or that social circle, maybe even a positive social circle, maybe was outcast, you know, in some presentations, you know, some television or movies uh, became an outcast. And they have to have this moment where they think, well, what does it all really add up to, right? I went to these parties, I did all these things. I dated this girl, and what did it all add up to? Well, it didn't It didn't add up to that much. It didn't add up to a self. And that, in a way, is more self-aware than the people who think that they've fit in, right? And I think the same thing is true in all these online dynamics that we see. And uh, I think that you have less and less access to these moments as you get older. I sort of, you know, I've been feeling for a while that I need one. You have to think you've been doing whatever your projects are, and you think, well... I made these things or I did these things. And uh, well, at the end of the day, it's just a little bit. It'll go away. You know, it's ephemeral. Right. And yeah, I think the slacker sees that and sees that they don't have this identity. They don't fit in in this way. And if there is a cool, of course, there are some cool slackers and some slackers who are not cool at all. Right. But if there is a cool to the slacker, it comes from accepting this truth about that everybody that is true of everybody, but that nobody else is comfortable with. 
Yeah, I think that's right. We mentioned music and movies primarily, and there's a kind of interest in slackers in the arts. But there's also this other side that gets quicker to our deep question about who we are. There's a certain relationship between slacking and the beginning of philosophy, since you have to not be okay with conforming to begin to think about things, to ask not only how to get something, but what is the good of it really. You have to deal with how puzzling your failures are to ask yourself, what am I trying to succeed at? What is success supposed to be about? Of course, you can taste success and find it empty in some way and then wonder about it. But that's harder to give up something that you feel you've earned and wanted so bad. Right. For you to ask yourself, why am I wanting to be doing all these things with all these people? What am I really getting out of this? Uh, more importantly, what am I looking for? Who am I? What, right. what is it I think that if I get it, then I'll be good? These questions are tied up with inactivity and doubt. There's a lot of contempt for the habit of the slacker to navel gaze, to be obsessed with himself, right. to talk about himself too much. But the truth is that it was not self-promotion, which is typical of our times. It was a minority opinion that suggested that we really are puzzling creatures. Right. Puzzling over yourself is because you don't really know why you are doing the things that you are doing. Right. There is a puzzle. Exactly. The puzzle is there. And that perplexity is often painful. It's often misery. And, uh, you know, without that, there wouldn't be music or movies which have a conflict in there to deal with. That conflict does have to do, as you say, with self-discovery and with the questions that we primarily identify with philosophers. What sort of being is the human being and how does that speak to me? So that aspect of leisure and self-reflection, which is often in a certain way painful, just as surely as the mood of slack has been drugged and therapeutically destroyed, so also the intellectual content of slacker doubt and self-doubt and self-questioning has been moralized away. This is what we ultimately mean when we say that you've got to be achieving all these productivity justice things. This kind of conformism will make you a kind of good human being. The slacker doesn't know if that's true. That's why I admire slackers. And I can think of things, well, why do I do that? Is that really such a smart thing or such a good thing? Or what is all this for? This happens to me. I admire that slackers deal with this, taking time off from life in some strange way. Because you have to ask yourself, what is all this life? That has been done away with. The nobility of slackerdom is some kind of affirmation of independence. And, uh, you know, we've looked at how nowadays it's not possible to be a slacker anymore because of the changes in our attitudes as much as in our circumstances. You know, slackerdom came in a way out of the problem that we are now trying to solve with uh, this furious proliferation of meanings, identities and activities and activism. That was the problem of the collapse of the American family. Slackers were the children of the me 70s generation of divorce. They dealt with this massive shift in American life where no marriage isn't for life. No life isn't a home with mom and dad and then you replicate it. You don't know quite what life is. And of course, there was a lot of craziness in American society in the 70s beyond the crisis of divorce. Right. But when you're young, you start with these things near you. You don't worry about oil shocks and OPEC. You don't worry right, about of course, yeah. so much. And so it does tend to start closer to family and to the craziness of it. That was the civil organization of America. That's what people believed in and practiced. Everybody was married more or less for life, more or less. The, when that collapsed, all of a sudden you had to be an individual, even if you didn't want to. 
Slackerdom has certain peaks in art or in philosophy or perhaps some moral achievements. You know, some slacker out there may have saved lives by being a slacker. It it may sound crazy, but the truth is that sometimes, you know, the difference between life and death is some guy just being around there. Might be all that it takes to stop somebody from committing suicide, for example, where all the therapy or good wishes or the Twitter retweets of of good wishes won't make a difference. But if somebody is just there, that might be enough of human contact for somebody to keep living. But there were many, many other people who didn't aspire to slack because of intellectual or artistic reasons. They were stuck with it. Right. Because America wasn't going anywhere and there was nothing to do. But look at how we're dealing with this same uncertainty and restlessness now. It's way crazier. Slackers were not trying to drive the nation crazy. They may have been assholes. They were mischievous, if you want to be nice about it. Right. But they were not trying to destroy the nation, as it were, in the name of some kind of justice or just some kind of complaint against the cosmos. Slack just seems to have nothing of coherence to it. Slack is the opposite of thought. But there was a kind of self-restraint to slack. Right. It was not revolutionary. And so somehow that's just more attractive both to art and to thinking and to a certain kind of friendship and maybe even love where you're not trying so hard to turn things upside down. Right. Slackers would not be burning statues, even if they might think like that guy was, you know, slave owner, asshole, whatever, you know, but they wouldn't be burning and destroying and doing all these things either. You know, it's interesting, the slackerism as a kind of stoicism. Um, and of course, many people have cited stoicism as a lost, you know, it's, it's hard to find in modern society when so much value is placed on having extreme emotional reactions to things and finding things to be upset about, expressing and enacting the way in which you're upset very aggressively and things like that. So yeah, it, it is a kind of stoicism that is certainly lost now. There was something else that you mentioned you know, that's part of the appeal of the slacker where they do eventually look kind of cool, right? And they look kind of cool because they don't get upset as easily. They're not freaking out about stuff. You know, what would somebody say if it were about, you know, not putting themselves out there, so to speak, in the modern lingo, right? So there are no, you don't have projects which could fail. So it's easier to be cool in that sense. But yeah, I think that in general, something of that has been lost as well. So there are virtues of the slacker, I'm trying to think about where we see those things in slacker music or slacker movies. Well, you mentioned Beck. I mean, that guy was not hateful, but comically incredibly against, you know, Hollywood celebrity and right. a certain kind of pursuit of pleasure. One insane fantasy after another. It's all just images in your head, really. Right. There was a lot of witty and sometimes wise criticism of the pursuits of conformism and what they are doing to people. Right. That's that, you know, a slacker in a way can't be like a relativist because the slacker does have the belief that underneath it all, maybe it doesn't mean anything. So they have to have a belief in sort of the coherence of this idea of going underneath it all, looking at what it really means, looking at what I really want. Right. You know, a more modern perspective might just be, well, you know, you want whatever you think you want, you know, whatever you want right now, that's what you really want or whatever society tells you to want, you really want. Right. It's socially constructed might be a more modern perspective. So just because the fact that society made you want it doesn't make it any less real. Right. Well, the slacker figure would have to say no. Right. If the slacker finds out I only want something because society told me to want it, the slacker has a kind of duty to work against that desire. Right. 
you know, I was mentioning Harold and Kumar before. This is an interesting thing about Harold and Kumar, that Harold and Kumar is all about advertisement, right? It's all about you see this on TV and you're able to get it, right? You get what you see in the movie. You get what you see on the funny cannabis infomercial or the funny White Castle ad or the movie with, you know, where Katie Holmes takes her top off or whatever. And uh, you get, you know, you kind of get what you see on TV. Whereas I think a more authentic slacker might just say, you know, there's some fakeness to that. There's some phoniness. Salinger might have called it a phoniness. So I think that's another change, a sort of ethic of slackerdom, where you have to think about what does it all mean deep down? Where does it all come from? And there is a sense of who you really are. Maybe what you are isn't anything, but if what you are isn't anything, then you shouldn't do anything, right? If it turns out that there is no self at base, at the very least, don't lie, right? Don't do these things as though they have meaning when you know that they don't, right? So that is a kind of ethic of a certain sort of authenticity, but it's a reflective authenticity. It's certainly not the authenticity. You know, nowadays, if you see somebody talk about identity and authenticity or something, they're worried about somebody who is like white but has pretended to be black or something like that, right? That's the sort of authenticity they're talking about. I don't think the slacker authenticity is like that. The slacker authenticity is more about what do you really want? What are your real values? What are you deep down? What actually means something to you? And if you discover that the things that you're doing don't actually matter to you, then who knows who you owe it to. But there's a kind of ethic of restraining yourself and refraining from doing those things. Yeah, at the very least, nowadays people police boundaries out of a sharpened sense of how artificial and made up everything is. People who say race is a social construct are also crazy when it turns out that people sometimes act on the belief that race is a social construct and they'll just you know, do some of the social construction for themselves. Right. That apparently is impermissible. Maybe race isn't a social construct. Maybe this is why you're feeling so angry about the people acting on that belief. Right. Compared to that kind of policing of behavior, slackerism is more interrogative. It is more personal. It has this strange human universality. As you say, who are you? What should you be doing? These take you deep into questions of what it is to be a human being. Right. And there's therefore some strange variety in what we, it's perfectly possible, I think, for some slackers to be nihilists, which is think that nothing right. really matters that much, that we, we live by delusions and you should stop. There is a kind of mental stoicism, as you said, that you have to face the, the hard facts of life without whining all the time and without enthusiasm either. Right, and, and you could also say that ultimately the slacker is Socrates. Mm -hmm. Everybody else has to get up for it now and then. Even if you're just writing poetry or music, you have to be serious about that. You have to have the craft. Right. You can't be a great guitarist. You can't put out Beck's discography without doing a lot of hard work. But you can be Socrates right. without one day's honest labor or passionate work or whatever you want to say, creative endeavor. Right, that's certainly true, yeah. Not a hard worker at all. At least as a philosopher, as a soldier he was. But no, I like that. Socrates, Socrates as a slacker. But there you see what it means to ask yourself, why am I doing these things? What should I be doing? Turns out that he believes that a lot of what he should be doing is sitting around thinking about things and reading things and talking to people. And college was supposed to offer people that. And slackerdom was among the first answers that this is not possible somehow in college. This is not what college is about. It's not about sitting around, talking to people, thinking about things, just being by yourself and dealing with that. Right. It's the stuff we see, the policing of boundaries, the obsession with excluding other people out of your very exclusive success path and kicking them out right. of the race in the tournament and all that. And of course, you know, the craziness of activism and the trying out of insane identity is making your own little Disney world, so to speak. 
Right. So that's how people react to, to the things to which Socrates reacted by saying that, well, you know, you just sit around a lot and uh, you don't really do anything. And probably, you know, it's also a kind of warning that Athenians were super okay with killing Socrates. They say that America is in a way a progress since we're just trying to make it impossible for anybody to be Socrates. We're not going to be executing anybody. But what makes the slacker so subversive is raising Socratic questions ultimately, because as you say, in boredom and in perplexity, doubts come up. Right. There was a time when everybody was married, all the men had jobs, things like that. But that's not the case anymore. There's way more loneliness, whether you like it or not, and people are really, really miserable at dealing with it. And uh, maybe it would be easier if they had some kind of minimum of Socratic insight or a minimum of Stoic insight. There's another attempt now through this great awakening for elites to pull themselves together and impose another morality on society and get everybody to obey under punishment of being cancelled or worse. Right. And at the same time, it allows you to take out your misery on the rest of the world instead of things like what Socrates would say, maybe you're the problem, maybe the misery is inside of you and you have to deal with it. There is the threat of people saying that if you can't have all the security that life had, and if you are forced to deal with these questions about your identity, then maybe it's time for madness. Maybe it's time to do very harsh things indeed. Thinking about slackers, at some point I just stuck on Portland because it's been in the news. Right. It's an amusement part for the weirdos. Right. The kinds of people who believe in rescue dogs because they're themselves kind of damaged. But it's okay because in Portland, you can be a slacker. In Portland, you don't have to be self-important and conventional. Right. The dream of the 90s is alive in Portland. The 90s slacker, that is the dream of the 90s, is to be a slacker, right? Exactly. It's Portlandia. It's supposed to be not American bourgeoisie, but American bohemia. Right. Flowers and coffee and weird paintings and blue hair and all sorts of strange things. And it's supposed to be quaint, like in Portland. But what if it turns out that if you do that for, you know, 20 years or whatever, you end up with the Portland riots. Right. Eventually, a desire for revenge and for destruction comes out of people thinking that whatever they might say that's very nice about all the nice, quaint things that they do as hipsters, they're hateful people. They're not looking for introspection. Many hipster desires have been defeated, as you're saying, especially 2008 and the aftermath has crushed those fantasies. Right. Maybe the answer to desire is the desire for retaliation. Like I like to say, desire defeated returns as revenge. And so you can see that even the hipster paradise, where every rescue dog is happy, turns out to be hate, hate, hate. And the pets are not enjoying their zoo, as one of my friends, James Poulos, might say. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's not a transition that I completely understand, but I did, you know... Most of my reflection on these things comes partly from college at a small liberal arts school where I, you know, to me, I had thought that it was sort of a slacker school. I had slacked off in high school and I went to this very arty, as you say, bohemian college. And uh, alongside me, you know, there were certainly a lot of slackers and a lot of non-slackers who were just kind of normal kids. But there were also, there was this element of people who seemed very slackery, but also, you know, were very political and had a lot of them had been you know, we're not like me. You know, I had been a very smart kid at a big public school who did no work, right? And a lot of these people were, you know, had gone to private schools, you know, expensive private schools where they had counselors who told them, you know, this college in particular is exactly where somebody like you should be. And well, let's work on your essay to get you into exactly this place and things like that. And seeing that transformation and seeing also with individual people as you kind of got them together and and saw what happened. Maybe there is something about slackers that you just shouldn't have too many of them in the one place. 
maybe slackers are supposed to be alone, right? We talked a lot of this that we talked about was about the self-reflection and what happens when you're alone and what happens when you're alone with your own thoughts and things like that. Maybe the slacker is somebody who you, you can't slack with other slackers. Maybe when you slack with other slackers, you get this strange effect and maybe the transformation is a very natural one. Maybe we've been talking about all these outside things, but maybe there's something we haven't seen that's internal to the logic of the slacker that if you get a bunch of them together, they start saying, they do say, you know, this sort of anti-society impulse starts to organize itself and starts to kind of theorize itself and things like that. So maybe, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not all sunlight and roses when it comes to the slackers. Maybe there is this underlying trend there that's actually rather natural. I don't know. When slacking was popular, there's a lot of confusion. People who are quite different by circumstance begin to look somewhat similar, not least of all because they imitate each other. Mm -hmm. But is it really plausible that everybody's made for work? Everybody's going to have some kind of talent for work or zest for it, right. or the stick to itiveness and all that. Some people probably fall through the cracks. That's what slackers are. Right. Slackers' criticism of society is politically moderate. They're not about burning down the system because, as you said, it's a lot of hard work to burn the system. Right. And uh, now that we've had this unprecedented lockdown, we've had these horrifying riots and all these catastrophes, and you'd have to be crazy not to see a connection. Right. Call this a crazy bet, but my bet is that there were not very many people with wives or husbands and children doing these incredibly crazy things over the summer. For better and for worse, all these responsibilities make for moderation, and the absence of them makes for a terrifying immoderation. You could say that slackers are moderate primarily by inactivity, and they are immoderate in their laziness, but that turns out not to be such a dangerous thing for anybody. But this sort of fanaticism is something else. Right. I think you're right that being a slacker doesn't mean being relativist. Because slackers do have to believe in what they have discovered enough to reject things. You know, if you're a relativist, then you should be a conformist. Exactly. So the slacker rejection of fashion or popularity has also got to be a rejection of something deeper in human conformism and something more inquisitive. And right. if that's not there, it might just be that there's trouble brewing. It takes 2020 for people to go mad very publicly, but probably it was brewing. In our society, therapy and medicine and psychology, there's always this sense that, well, you know, you can explain things if you study and if you have the right science and talk to the person, you'll find out what's really happening to them. You're forever supposed to psychologize people, to say, why are you thinking the way you're thinking? What is happening inside of you? What made you this way? So that's some kind of quest for maybe causal explanations of the self. It's literature used to have all these novels about interiority. A lot of the music and even the movies about or by slackers were also tied up with figuring out interiority. Right. Who am I inside as opposed to with everybody else or because of society? But there are also things that aren't being psychologized. Success is most often not psychologized. That's just great. Right. And activism, right? Being for the right social right. causes, that's not because you're screwed up inside and that's why you're so hateful. You're only hateful because of the systemic injustice that you're trying to deal with. And of course, since there's systemic injustice, it makes sense that you're going crazy. Right. So in, in all these cases, you see a sudden suspense of this psychological skepticism and inquisitiveness that's otherwise typical right. of, you would call it liberalism broadly, you know, all the publications, right. all the trends in the arts. All of a sudden, that doesn't matter anymore. Right. Ultimately, history is what will give you meaning. It's the only thing you yeah. can be certain about. That I, that I agree with. Yeah. 
the slacker is certainly somebody who, you know, it's hard to see the 90s slackers. It's hard to imagine the dude in the Big Lebowski. Somebody says, well, you know, you're in a certain kind of moment of history. That would just become yet another, you know, all these weird people he encounters trying to get him. Ultimately, the Big Lebowski is about this guy who just doesn't want to, he just wants to have his rug, right? He just wants to sit at home and drink his white Russians and have his rug. But somebody comes home and messes with his rug. And then people keep coming and telling him to do this thing or that thing, right? You know, dude, where's my car is the same way. It's just these guys who they're high and, you know, they're they're high all the time. It's all they do. But then they have these girlfriends who are trying to make them buy birthday presents for them. And these guys come from outer space to tell them to find this thing. And these other women and everybody's just always telling them to do stuff. And it's just so hard, you know? It's such a buzzkill to be told to do all these things. Like you kind of struggle and drag yourself around. There's a great scene in, um, not it's not really a slacker movie, but in Wet Hot American Summer when um, Paul Rudd is told to clean up some room and he kind of like, he acts like he's, like his limbs are made of jelly or something, kind of drags himself. That's sort of the slacker. If somebody tells you to do something, that's sort of what the slacker does, right? You sort of just drag yourself and say, okay. And you sort of make a big deal about how you're being forced to do this thing that you don't want to do. And uh, yeah, it's so far into modern activism where you're supposed to just welcome being told what to do, right? You're supposed to say, well, you know, I defer to you. You're the, I want to do the work. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to drown out, you know, voices of the, of the disenfranchised. I want them to tell me what to do, right? I want to take these, these sorts of orders. So it's very hard to find the ethic of slackerdom, which you go to the heart of it and you're asking yourself, well, what does it all mean? You know, does it mean anything? Why am I doing any of this? Why don't I just sit around? Why is doing anything better than sitting around, right? It's very hard to find that anywhere anymore, yeah. This moment of slackerdom reveals both certain things about the past of America and about the present and the likely future of America. It was a moment where this minority opinion had quite some purchase and could publicly state in various artistic forms, especially, right. that there's something wrong with turning our restlessness into too much conformism, whether it's in the workplace or in activism. And of course, often combined, like in woke capital or corporate HR these days. So there is something, even in this political sense, a kind of noble rejection in the slacker. Right. And you can say, you know, in some sense, slacking is just being a brat, a child who refuses to grow up and a loser. But when you compare that to people who do wicked things or want catastrophe, then you begin to think that, you know, maybe that childishness isn't all bad. Right. You know, and as we said, the slacker, you know, in slacker literature and slacker movies, the slacker... The, the other, you know, people don't like the slacker because it makes people recognize, oh, this thing that I spend so much time on is meaningless. That thing that I spend so much time on is meaningless, right? It makes you recognize these things that I'm telling myself are lies, whether it's the bullshit of corporate lingo and whether you get that client or the competitor gets the client, you realize that it's just, it doesn't matter, right? Or the bullshit of political speak, right? In, you know, the slacker view of, of the 90s was, you know, oh, both oh, politicians, they're all selling you one thing or another. I, I'm not going to listen to that crap. I'm not going to listen to some politician tell me what to do. I'm just going to lie on the couch and get high, right? You know, like whatever. And now, you know, now you can't say they're all the same. You can't say both sides, right? Now there's no, the supposedly, the view that has emerged when you get enough of the slackers together is, uh, it's not about both sides, right? It's about actually our side is correct. Somehow the slackers have emerged into this larger group, as you say, in in Portland and places like that. So yeah, it's it's hard. 
the individuality and as you say i forget if we said that you know a lot of it emerges from being alone and people really are never alone anymore you know i'm never alone i never have a moment where i have say nobody else is gonna save me from my existential funk you know when I was in high school, I would stay up late on AOL Instant Messenger with people, talking to people, and not doing my homework. Because I just, I didn't want to do my homework. Somebody was telling me to do it. It was stupid. I wasn't going to learn anything from it. It was bullshit, right? I didn't want to do it. I was a slacker, right? But eventually, everybody else would go to bed, and there would be this moment where it was kind of like, it's you and the work, and you either got to kind of confront something about yourself or force yourself to do it. But you have to make some sort of a decision, right? You're you're stuck with yourself and you have to make some sort of move or non-move, right? You have to come to grips with your situation, right? Nobody else is going to save you from it. Nobody else is going to save you from the confrontation with meaninglessness that is this piece of homework, right? I never have that anymore. There's no point at which I can't find somebody to talk to online. There's no point at which I can't tweet, you know, and get people responding and things like that. And now that we have phones, you know, we're never away from it either, right? We're always connected. So I think that's the other aspect that makes it hard to be a slacker that you don't, it's not just the entertainment, the socialization, the politicization of work, the kind of workization of politics. All of these factors are anathema to slacking, I think, both at a practical and a kind of thematic level. Yeah, doing nothing turns out to be much harder than we used to think. Yeah. In a way we had it good. Yeah, I, I've been thinking of trying, you know, sometimes the only times I can make myself do nothing is kind of sometimes I'll force myself to leave my phone at home when I go for a walk. But even that is like you kind of schedule it in, you know, you kind of say, well, this is the time when I'm going to do nothing. And then once it's done, you say, well, what did I get out of, you know, you're hoping to have some epiphany that helps you with all the something that you're trying to do, right? All the projects, you know. So there's a sense in which it's it's almost like slacking for a purpose, which is, you know, it's difficult to make it, at least on my end, it's difficult to make it slacking at all, right? Because I have all these projects and I've considered it. I've times I've been like, well, I have a little money saved up. What if I just go whole hog and try to have another, you know, it would have to be the last of my life probably, but it would be another period where I just don't do anything much for a year or two and see kind of what I learn about myself from it. But it's hard to turn it into genuine slacking, right? Because a genuine slacker, you have to think they don't expect to get anything out of it. They don't think that there is anything to get out of it, right? And that's kind of why it's compelling. That's kind of why it's a total experience in that way. Yeah, I know what you mean. In some ways, slacking comes to you by a surprise, right? Nobody chose to be a slacker when he was a kid. Right. And indeed, it requires an effort of will to throw away all sorts of things. I'm much less on social media than I was years back. I'm happier for it. Right. I think everybody needs some amount of slacking. You have to you let your mind wander and things occur to you. Just like boredom is such an essential part of slackerdom, maybe the arts also offer you things that your mind will roam to now and again. Right. And right. indeed, that does require seeing how much of thinking and talking to people has become incredibly like work. Yeah. Like a servitude. I mean, people brag about treating their Twitter like a job because they're Twitter celebrities. Right. That's where you would need quite some slacking to tell you that this isn't serious and it's not what it seems. And right. you should just let some of the stuff that you've noticed just wash over you. Let your mind wander. Right. And you have to, of course, have that slacker confidence. That stuff that occurs to you is not worthless. That just because you're not working doesn't mean you're nobody. You're more receptive. You're not trying to perform. So much of intellect has turned itself into a performance. 
very slacking can prepare you for leisure that's interesting in itself. It's spontaneously pleasing and intriguing. Will allow you to see the things inside yourself aren't bad. There's a certain part of slacking that's very enjoyable, and some some of it is bodily inactivity, but some of mm-hmm. it is has an intellectual character, possibly being inspired, and all of that requires a kind of passive receptivity. Right. And of course, you know, maybe stuff that inspires you, then you'll have to learn to play that music and do something. So slackers might turn into artists or what have you. Right. And that does seem to be far more necessary than people realize since people make themselves miserable on social media and just keep doing it more. The misery of my social media experience apparently is supposed to make me take it out on the system for being so evil. Right. What is that going to do to the system really? But for my case, if I'm allowed to be selfish here and slacking is in a sense intensely selfish, I would like to be less unhappy, not to uh, revolutionize the system. Right. So there are all these things about musing, wandering, they've been thrown out. But the, the sorts of things that used to happen without having to do any kind of work or much preparation because you weren't locked into activities and habits in this new social world that's indeed the brooding presence. Somehow it's always too close to us and nevertheless leaves us alone. It's a threat to your interiority. Right. Slackers, in a way, questioned what people believed in. But in another way, they pointed out how eager for approval people were. Mm -hmm. Slacker contempt for things hurt people whom it shouldn't have if they really liked what they were doing. Right. Yeah. But that points to this desire to be approved of that can get out of hand that drives our restlessness into social media. Slacking off allows for that sort of distance. You can be detached from the things you're too desperate for approval from, or you find yourself hoping that here in this smartphone, something will happen or in this app or platform that will give my life meaning. Right. There's a lot of that expectation where people will be scrolling around aimlessly. That's the wrong way to do it. It's a strange combination of hyperactivity and passivity. It's too restless. You have to slack off first, and then you might find those things that are inspiring and meaningful. Right. So uh, here we can talk a a bit about our experience as slackers and maybe some of the stuff that we've discovered for worse and for better. It's not a guide to how to slack because you can't have that. There are not the seven habits of successful slackers. Right. Yeah, of course. There's just the do the biding, like you were saying. And again, nowadays, at least it's obvious how important abiding is when people are so insane. Yeah, I think, well, what did you call it? Passivity or abiding or stoicism, you know, however we're putting this. And of course, you know, the slacker is not somebody who is sort of happily abiding, usually often somebody who's unhappily abiding sort of from rejecting the world. But yeah, I think there's definitely value in that sort of capacity. Well, we've been slacking off for a while here and just yapping the mouth. Yes, we sure have. So at least we practice what we preach. I guess preach is the wrong word. What I like about slacking is that you don't have to walk the walk. Talking the talk is walking the walk of slacking. (laughs) Really and truly is all there is to it. So this is what we have to offer. And perhaps we have noticed enough and thought about these things enough that it's worthwhile for our audience as well and can therefore prove the virtues of slacking by deed. <laughs> well, Oliver, thanks a lot for joining me. This has been another very insightful and ranging conversation. Yeah, this was a this was a lot of fun. As always, I realized you somehow have this ability to make me realize that I thought things that I hadn't. You know, it's sort of sort of as you say, like slacking in a way. I realized that I had these thoughts that 
you know, came very naturally, but I had never thought of before. Um, so it's always a lot of fun talking to you for that reason. Likewise, Oliver, it's something that I realized when I was a slacker kid, that somehow it's tied up with friendship and conversation. I'm, I'm much on reclusiveness and loneliness like you are, but it's also this other side. I enjoy our conversations very much. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun. All the best. Yeah, good talking to you. Bye-bye.